Good morning. Good to see you again. I made it up here on time. All right. So growing up, uh, I would often hear a particular phrase. It was a question, and it would be in response to my actions or behavior. It went something like this. Was it worth it? Usually the question was provoked by my questionable behavior. <laughs> it wasn't always poor or bad behavior. Most of the time, yes. Sometimes it was just different or confusing behavior. Of course, being an indignant child, and I was, and an indignant young man, I came up with a response that was somewhat irritating, but to me, internally comforting to those who questioned me. When asked, was it worth it, I would say, all day long. So I stuffed toilets in my elementary school with paper mache crafts, remember that? Flooded the hallways, not exactly what I thought would happen. Just the bathroom would have been good enough, but it took out the hallways, got suspended. Principal looks at me, and he says, was it worth it? All day long. <laughs> Driving on a highway in a rush, missed my exit. Next exit, 10 miles. Nice, solid, green, grass median to my left. Hey, you know what? Pop over the median, get to the toll booth. There's an officer, looks at me, looks at the thing, said, okay. Basically sets the record straight, you know. Levies, uh, gives, tells me what I got to do, the penalty, and looks at me and says, was it worth it? All day long. <laughs> 28 years old, I decide to follow Jesus. Turn my life upside down to follow Jesus. Huh? Was it worth it? All day long. Why don't we do a responsive reading, okay? <laughs> How's that? I'm 32 years old. I left my full-time job to share Jesus with underprivileged and at-risk teenagers and children. Was it worth it? All day long. There you go. 45 years old, my wife and I, Christy, decide to, to dedicate our lives to sacrifice significantly to start a church in Gardner, Massachusetts. Was it worth it? There you go. <laughs> 24 years ago, I met a, in August, the ending of August, I meet this gorgeous, wonderful girl named Christy, fall of 1993. I spend the next, next few months, I spend a ton of money and a ton of time pursuing her, made her the focus of my attention. Was it worth it? 11 years ago, I built a two-family home so my in-laws could live next to me. Was it worth it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not now, baby. We're in church. We can't lie, okay? <laughs> so the, the truth is, everything in life has a cost. Sometimes a prize is worth the price, and sometimes it's not, you know? Hey, there's a cost to getting married. It is. A, it's a lot of work. Time, energy, effort, we, and, you know, and you just keep investing that. If you're wise, you do that. Man, so there's a lot of cost, but the prize is phenomenal. Having Christy as my wife is m far worth the price at any time or money or anything, emotions I could have invested in my marriage. Having children is a cost. Yeah, right? Huh? You know? Those little guys are a lot of money, and girls, aren't they? My mother-in-law deceived me when she told me, oh, it's not really that much of a difference, right? That's why when, they, when we run out of milk, I go 
go to your grandmother and get the milk. <laughs> but man, it's just so worth the price, any price to be paid. We treasure our children, huh? Some would say going for that degree, trying to you know, advance myself academically, you know, my knowledge and perhaps even my, my pay scale is, in wor is worth the investment of time and money. So again, everything in life has a cost. Sometimes the price is worth the prize, sometimes it's not. And I say this because today we are kicking off a new teaching series called Storytellers. Now we're gonna, in this series, we're gonna examine various stories, parables that Jesus shared with those, with his audiences. Now the first one we're gonna look into today touches the topic that we're talking about, which is to me, the value of your life, the worth of your life. The story or parable we're looking at today is called the parable of the hidden treasure. Now it is among the shortest of Jesus's 40 somewhat parables found in the gospels. Let me read it to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So the details of this word picture here was very familiar with the audience in Jesus' time. But to you and I, it might not be the case, so let me explain it. Nowadays, it's very rare to find a treasure in a field, huh? But such a story would not have been the case for people back in the old days, right? In the time of Jesus walked the earth. And, and for that matter, probably several hundred, or at least a few hundred years after that. In Jesus' day, wars, political upheavals were very common. And since people back then didn't have banks, it was common for them to bury their treasure, to bury their valuables in a hidden place where if they, for whatever reason, at a drop of a dime, had to abandon it to survive, they would be able to come back and get their possessions, their treasure. So I want you to imagine a landowner, a wealthy one perhaps, hears of a battle on the horizon, decides he needs to protect his money, and, they, and he decides to bury it in the field. When the battle comes, the landowner is killed, unfortunately. No one knows there's a treasure in the field. Decades pass, centuries pass. Many different people buy and own the property. Well, one day, a recent owner decides he's going to cultivate, he's going to plant some crops on this field. And he hires someone to till the soil. Well, the worker gets to plowing the field, and as he goes along, his plow hits something. At first, he thinks it's a rock. He grabs a shovel. He tries to dig it up. Then he discovers it's a treasure chest. He pulls it out, breaks it up with the shovel, opens it up, and whoa, jackpot. There's a ton of gold in there, a vast treasure. He closes the lid to the treasure box back up, puts it back in the ground, covers it over, makes sure it looks like it wasn't disturbed, right? Goes on working, finishes out his day. That night, he goes home. He sees his house. He sells his luxury camel, two-humped camel, right? He does everything he can to get the cash fast. Next morning, he shows up, goes, speaks to the landowner, and he gives him an offer he can't refuse on the spot. And now he owns the field, and he owns the treasure buried within it. 
and his joy is uncontainable. He knows that he's paid a very high price for the field. Everything he owned, he had to give up, sell, but it's worth it because it's far more valuable than what he paid for it. Jesus was making this point. If you want to be a citizen of God's kingdom, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to get to heaven, there is a price to pay. But the price is so much less than the reward the prize contains. Huh? There's a greater reward, a greater prize. Now, herein lies one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. It's confusing. So let's pause, stop here, park our car here. Because you've probably heard me say one thing and now you think I'm saying another. And I do that, by the way, but just hopefully not up here. On one hand, Jesus is saying you must take action and make changes to follow me to get to heaven. On the other hand, you've heard us say you cannot pay or earn your way into God's kingdom. It's a gift from God. There's nothing we could do to earn that. We cannot pay this back. It's old grace. But yet there is this sort of a price that we pay. Let's put it this way. Christy and I, let's say Christy and I, after we built our home and we went to make our first mortgage payment, the bank said, hey, you know what? You don't owe us anything. Your mortgage has been paid in full. Someone came in just the other day. They, they, they want to be known as anonymous, and they've paid off your mortgage. You own your home free and clear. Now, that did not happen. <laughs> but even if it did, there would still be a price to pay on my own home. There would be the cost of annual taxes, right? I live in Westminster, okay? So the town officials in Westminster, they believe the air in Westminster is better than the air everywhere else. <laughs> they believe that the leaves are greener than any other town around us, huh? And they take it upon themselves to levy a heavy tax on us poor homeowners. See, they believe in tradition in Westminster, so they raise my taxes every single year. I question them on the necessity of doing this. Why do they do this? And the response is, to keep the people of Winchenden out. <laughs> just tell me what they tell me. Or maybe I just heard it, overheard it in Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know, one or the other. And that's ironic because the lady who runs the town is from Winchenden. That's a whole other story. Okay, listen, where were we? All right, here we were, here we were. So, if I had no mortgage, someone pays it off, I still have these other costs, taxes, maintenance, so on. There's this cost of ownership. In the same way, the price for our redemption has been paid in full. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, says of God, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. Though there is a cost to discipleship, there is a cost in following Jesus. It's hard to be a Christian, but it's harder not to. That's what I preach because that's what I had to live. It is difficult, challenging, you're sacrificing when you come to follow Jesus. But the other end of that is a beautiful thing. 
the way you see the world, the way you see yourself, the way you know God, is un it's just phenomenal. Will we make the right choice and follow Jesus regardless of our perceived cost? Because you know, honestly, as much as we perceive that to be, it never really is as hard or as much as it is. It's just not. Sometimes we perceive it so much that we take the road most traveled versus the road less traveled. Sometime back, a while back, oh, maybe two or three years ago, my father-in-law took uh, my little girl, Joy, out for a trip. I think she, they went out to play mini golf, right? And I think it was a bit, you know, I think what happened was they, uh, I don't know, I could see her pretty much t taking him to the edge of his, you know, mind, right? And perhaps he got distracted, perhaps he was just being him, but I guess he got behind in his plans, what he wanted to do, and uh, I want, I'm going to let Joy share with you what happened next. So Joy, tell me what happened when Grandpa took you out miniature golfing the other day while you were driving in the car. Um, so a few days ago, um, he, my grandpa took me mini golfing. And so we had already gone and then we went out of the parking lot, turned out, and then my grandpa turned around and then stopped. I'm sitting there like, why did he stop? And then I see this guy walking towards us, I'm just like, oh my gosh, and then I see him, and he comes over to the car, and it's a policeman. He pulled my grandpa over because he made a U-turn in the road where he's not supposed to, and my grandpa's just like, oh, I'm, I'm so sure. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't know what you, you weren't supposed to do it here. Um, I thought you could just do it right here, and, then, and the cop is just like, no, you'll go right over there. And it was right there. I mean, you could see it, like, right there, right next to us. And then um, my grandpa's just like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, um, I, I didn't know. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. And then, and then the cop, like, said, where do you live? What's your name? And then he wrote it down, like, a piece of paper or something. And then my grandpa's just like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't know. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. He was sorry, man. So, Lloyd had a choice to make. He had two paths to choose from, right? You know, it, it seems as though he took the easy way out, right? Huh? And he was so, so sorry for doing that, right? Hey, there's a cost to, uh, to follow Jesus, you know? And... And it is. It's a costly one, depending on where you are in life. It was extraordinarily high for me at the time. Not only what I perceived, but what actually was happening day to day. But there was no doubt I had resolved within my mind and heart that it was going to be worth it. And, and it, it, it was. And it's, it's, my life has unfolded in a way that I could never have imagined. Uh, really, it, it's what Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, that God has done more in my life than I've asked him to do. He's done more in my life than I could imagine. He's done more in my life than I could measure. To God be the glory throughout all generations forever and ever, yes? And you know, at times when we, we're at this kind of a, I don't know, place in life, 
It's a critical place in life where do, what do we do? I mean, we feel something's taking place within us. I believe wholeheartedly it's God, Holy Spirit, drawing us to him, awakening us of our need of him. And, and, and when we start kind of wrestling, battling with our thoughts, and, and, and we make decisions, and sometimes we choose, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just take the shortcut. You know, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to do what I need to do. Uh, I'm going to take this path, not this path that would follow Jesus. And you know what happens? You give up, the temp you, you, you live for the, for the temporary, and you forfeit eternity. Huh? You do. I mean, Lord, right there that day, he was just living in the temporary, right? And, you, and you, the thing is, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going forward. I'm not slamming Lloyd. I mean, I'm okay with slamming Lloyd, but I'm not slamming Lloyd. <laughs> like, you see, when you take matters into your own hand, and when you trust in yourself rather than turn to God and, and, and lean to God and trust in him, well, you know, the way things pan out, they fall so short of what God would have. And it often, we, it's amazing, when we live in a temporary, we minimize the negative that we know deep in, inside is a likelihood, but we minimize it, we embellish it. Like Lloyd never thought that he'd get pulled over by a cop. Why would you think that? It's not like, you know, right? He probably never thought that one day he'd be, be humiliated in front of a few hundred people. <laughs> That's life, isn't it, right? You pray for Lloyd, okay? <laughs> Listen, the cost to follow Jesus, though it's dwarfed by the, is dwarfed by the rewards that come from following Jesus. And when you live for eternity and not the temporary, you can't imagine, you can't measure, you can't even dream of the good that's going to come into your life. It is hard. It's harder not to. You can't fathom what's ahead for you as you trust in God and choose that path. So, I want to talk about following Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, we read about how a large crowd of people were following Jesus everywhere he went. Now, most of these people had kind of a shallow commitment to Jesus. They were in it maybe to get lunch, maybe to catch a miracle, see something, whoa. Maybe they just wanted something, a miracle for themselves, but it wasn't about following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, believing in what he was saying. And Jesus knew this. And he knew that such a commitment would never get someone into heaven. So he went ahead and told the people the plain truth, what's involved in being a disciple of his, in following Jesus. And right out of the gate, the sum of it all, to be a true disciple of Jesus your motto in life must be, I love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. Right there. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Some of you brought guests today who are being baptized, and... Right now, they're saying, I knew it. I knew this was a cult. I knew you were... <laughs> so it's, it's not a cult. Relax. Don't worry. Have a cup of Kool-Aid. Everything will be fine, right? <laughs> if you're like under 35, you're like, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, 
I, I don't think Jesus was commanding his followers to actually hate their families, you know, bringing them to a, a, a place of malice towards their family. He's speaking in hyperbole. It's like when we're frustrated with somebody we work with, maybe our spouse, you know, you know, or our son-in-law, right? And it's like, you know what, I just, I just want to strangle them. I just want to strangle them, huh? And we don't actually want to kill them, right? We're just really irritated or annoyed with them, and it's just our way of, like, expressing ourselves with some, you know, it, we're really emphasizing that. Listen, what Jesus is saying here, he's using such strong language to indicate the devotion one must have, and that everything and everyone takes second place to him, to Jesus, Lord and Savior. All loyalties must go to Jesus. Now, you want to keep in mind who Jesus was talking to at this time, his audience. In those days, well, he was talking exclusively, well, for the most part, to Jewish people and who were part of a religion that had been around for thousands of years. And the Jewish religion was centered to the Hebrew people. It was a central part of their life. If you were to, if you were to leave Judaism and follow Jesus, quote-unquote, convert to Christianity, there was a great price to pay. Your family would disown you. If you were in a relationship with somebody, they'd break it off. If you had a business, then people would stop frequenting your place of business. You'd go bankrupt. And Jesus knows that. And yet he speaks to them. And he says, if you're going to be my disciple, you must love me more than anyone or anything else. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to finish this through. You're not going to be able to see this through. You're not going to have all that my Father in heaven has for you, has planned for you, has purpose for you. Most of all, you're not going to spend eternity with your heavenly Father. So, right now, today, consider within your heart, if I'm going to follow Jesus, which I, I hope you do, if I'm going to be his disciple, I must love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. There was a book that came out, and uh, it was called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. It was written by Tullian Chavidian. I probably botched his last name up so bad, but you know, when you have more consonants than vowels, it deserves to be botched, in my opinion. <laughs> so Tullian says, it's so easy to forget what the Christian faith is all about. We struggle so much, we work so hard, and we fail often. We frequently sense that something is wrong in life. Tullian argues that we're missing, what we're missing is the gospel, a, a fuller, greater understanding of Jesus and what his finished work on the cross means to us every day. You see, if you understand what Jesus did and what it means to you and what it does for you, then you have this great heightened desire to follow him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Jesus made a way for you 
to have eternal life. He made a way for you to ultimately know peace and joy. He made a way for you to have hope, for you to live every day in hope. Every day you wake up, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, you have hope when you follow Jesus. I conducted a funeral on Friday, and I read this quote. It says, the very least you can do in your life is figure out what you hope for. And the most you can do is live inside that hope. Jesus is my hope. Eternal life is my hope. This is what I hope for. This is the hope that I live inside of. And that's the hope God is calling you to live inside of. Because when you're inside that hope, there's not a lot that can get to you. It'll nick you. It'll push you. It'll stress you. It might disturb you, but it ain't going to get inside of you. You hear me? It's a hope that endures, that perseveres. It's an incredible reward that comes from following Jesus. And regardless of what the price was that you paid to get some hope, it's nothing. It'll take you through the hardest times, the most uncertain times, the most painful times. Christy and I, have, we've had difficulty, we've had pain, we've had sorrow. Often we look back, always we look back and say, how did we get through that? How are we here today? I mean, we're not like just, you know, hanging by a thread. We are glorifying God. We are thanking God. We are thriving in life. How did this happen? Over Because of hope. Because hope will never fail us. The hope we have in God and what he's done and what Jesus has done for us and the hope we have that when all is said and done, one day we will be with God in heaven, huh? You just can't beat that. You just can't top that. We must live for Jesus more than anything or anyone else. We must live our lives in a way that honors God in our finances, in our lifestyles, in our relationships. And when you see the world through that, when Jesus comes first in your finances, first in your relationships, first in your lifestyles, then you see everything in such a better, healthier, more productive and effective way. You're not living one step forward, two steps back. You're not sitting there steeped in a deep, remorseful regret, like, why did I do this? How did I get here? It's just so unnecessary. If you would honor God, if you would follow Jesus, if you would love Jesus more than anything or anyone else, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. When we do that, when we seek God's kingdom, and we seek God's righteousness, we create this culture in our lives and in our homes, in our marriages. It's what we do. And you know, when, do, when we do that, we create this kind of an environment. We create culture by the way we talk, the way you talk, the way we talk in our homes, the way we talk to our spouses, by what we believe in when we're living in our homes, Monday to Saturday, going home after church on Sunday. How are we talking? What are we believing? Huh? Our actions, what are we doing? All of that creates a culture in our homes. And culture is strong. Culture is powerful. Culture protects. Culture preserves. Culture keeps things together. It doesn't always fix things, but it keeps it together, yeah? The culture in my home is to follow Jesus. 
That's the culture. The culture in my home is to love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. My wife will drop me like a bad habit for Jesus. She will. I know. That's amazing. Look at me. <laughs> but I know that. I knew that early on when I met her. She told me in so many words. In words. After all the presents and all the gifts and all the wow, pretty much what she told me. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. Now, I won't say I'll drop because that doesn't sound right, but I mean, hey, when all said and done, we both know that Jesus comes first in our marriage. Our kids know that Jesus comes first before they come. They do know this. And we know that Jesus comes first in their lives before we come first. Just That's the order. That's the culture in my home. And it brings so much goodness. It just kind of keeps things together. It keeps, the, when things go crazy, when crisis hits, when you have a bad season, because you do have a bad season, when you're screwing up be, beyond belief, man, right? It keeps things on track. It keeps us going in the right direction. It allows forgiveness to live. It, it, it allows love to persevere. It allows for affection to remain, huh? Even when there's pain, even when there's disappointment, even when there's a lack of communication, we still hold and we gradually move forward in a way that honors and glorifies God because of the culture. And the culture is to follow Jesus and love him more than anyone or anything. Yes? So early on in my relationship with God, oh, wow, probably within a year, I'm sitting in a classroom one day. I'm visiting Christy in her Bible college. I wasn't a student, and I didn't want to be a minister. Yuck, you know. You know. This teacher's talk, really humble guy. He's talking about, like, following Jesus. He's talking about being a servant of God. And he's talking about what it means and what you have to do. And it just starts resonating in me, like he's talking to me, you know. I understood what was happening. And right then and there, I started to develop this attitude in my heart that continues on to this day. I've not perfected it. I'm still working on it. It's still growing, but this thought of whatever you want, God. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm like, oh my God, am I going to have to have this conversation with God? Because I know, push comes to shove, it's whatever you want, God, right? Whatever you want me to give up, whatever it is, whatever plans I have, whatever dreams I had, in the coming weeks, I would have to show dreams I had of, in the, you know, of marrying Christie sooner than later is what I wanted to do, of, of building a house. And that was my whole thing, you know, marry a nice girl, get a golden retriever, get a nice house with a white picket fence, you know. Well, every now and then I dreamt of it. And now that would have to be showed because I decided I was going to go to Bible college, not to be a minister, to learn more about God, to learn more about Jesus. What I put on my application, I got to go and get a copy of it. I got to go, because they tell you, what ministry are you called to? And I said, none. <laughs> I did. I said, I just want to learn more about Jesus. <laughs> and it's cool if you are called to one. I wasn't, you know, uh, at that time. And so, uh, yeah, it just, that thought came into me that, that never left me to this day. The push comes to shove. I'm going to trust in God, whatever he wants. What about you? What is the, where is your heart? Would you go anywhere Jesus sent you? 
Would you do anything Jesus asked you to do? Would you give anything or anyone up for Jesus? In the New Testament, Jesus asked Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come follow him. We read in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it's, and they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything behind and followed him. Meaning they packed it in, man. Everything we know, what we've been doing, what sustains us, going to drop it right here on the beach and we're going to follow Jesus. And we get to read that and see that. And we get to see how God used them. And they got to walk with Jesus and know Jesus. And they got to be killed and martyred in the name of Jesus. And today we know that they with us will worship God in the heavens, yes? And we have their wonderful example of life to live. Worship team, why don't you come on up? So friends, this is the cost of following Jesus. We must love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. Some of you are in here thinking, wow, I didn't realize Christianity is so like hardcore, you know? Maybe you're wondering, is it really worth it? Well, remember the point of Jesus' story. Think of this, consider this. There's a cost to following Jesus, but the rewards are more than worth it. It's hard to be a Christian. It's harder not to. Whenever and every week I do, I speak to people, some who are atheists, some who don't know Jesus, some who have been kind of kicking around this thing called church for a year, five years, ten years. I'm talking to my friends who've been baptized, I'm talking to you. you, you're in this for 20 years, man, to, and today is maybe your day where you're going to trust in Jesus. Sometimes we, it happens to us, you know, we get baptized, we get to that place of trusting in Jesus, we have that moment I had in the classroom, like, yes, God, whatever you want, and you know what, it works, it works crazy. We start to kind of get on our feet, we start to do well, and then we start to kind of you know, okay, we got this, right? We start to kick through, we start to manage it, we, we start to hold on to what is ours, right? What we're great, what we're proud of, what people recognize has happened in our life. And, and, and in doing that, we now elevate ourselves, huh? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6, that if you su submit yourself to the mighty hand of God, he will raise you up. Wow. If you love Jesus more than anything or anyone else, God will raise you up. The man in the story found the treasure, and he joyously, gladly gave up everything he had to obtain the treasure in the field. Why? Because of the great value of the treasure. Yet he had to give up many things and several things to gain the treasure, but what he gained was so much more than he gave up. I believe all of those who are baptized today, whatever they're giving up, gave up, and will continually give up is nothing compared to knowing Jesus and following Jesus and the rewards that come from that relationship. I know myself. I am continually in awe at what God continually does in my life as I live out that motto, to love Jesus more than anything and anyone else. My wife prays, God help him love you more than he loves me. Don't you pray that? Okay. 
Sorry about the water in the face. She's a treasure. She is. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul gave up some things to follow Christ, but he gained so much more. 24 years ago, I decided like those to follow Christ. At 17 years old, I was water baptized, and I thank God for that. Today, if you ask me, was it worth it? All day long, huh? Was there uncertainty, confusion? All over the place. From friends and family, yes, very much so. There was some distance. There was some questions. There was some anger, right? What are you doing? You see, I, I don't think it's so much that when we come to Christ, we walk away from family and friends, because we should not. And God's not calling us to do that. Sometimes what happens is that as we follow Jesus and love him more than anything else, things change, huh? Things just kind of fall away from us. We discard things that are detrimental to us and we, those we love. But sometimes that doesn't jive in certain relationships. Sometimes these things that are not of God actually are a major part of sustaining some relationships, right? Which give you an indicator that that's not a healthy relationship, man. And as we not discard or do away with the person in a relationship, but what's going on, the behavior, the act, the lifestyle, the way of thinking, the way of being, well, that can be disturbing to somebody. And they then, I found, would kind of abandon me or distance, distance themselves from me initially. But over time, God is good, huh? And slowly as they began to see what God was doing in my life, and that actually was a better person, and it was working so well in me, they, every single one of my friends and family came around to eventually kind of warm up to it. And to this day, every single one of them applauded. And some of them even know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. To God be the glory. Why don't you stand with me? I made a great choice to follow Jesus. That's what Paul did. St. Paul, you might know him. That's what I did. It's what followers of Jesus do to love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. How about you today? As you consider whether or not to truly follow Jesus this morning, remember the point of the story, of the parable. The cost of following Jesus, of discipleship, is more than worth it. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, I lift up the one in here today who does not know you, who has not followed you with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength. Lord, that today, God, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them close to you, that they would know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would desire right now to give up what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. That they might say this prayer right now within themselves. Jesus, we are thankful that you gave your life for us, that you paid the price for my sin. Today, God, forgive me. 
I stand before you, God, forgiven. I stand before you, God, free. I choose to live in this freedom today, God. I choose to live in this hope today, God. Today, Jesus, I choose to love you more than anything or anyone else. Amen.